As we begin this season of Lent, I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 1, uh, verses 43 through 51. And since we'll dismiss children in worship after communion, um, today's a good day to um, help your kids find the spot in the Bible as well, in the Gospel of John. And today the sermon title is just Nathaniel, because we're going to talk about different interactions that Jesus had throughout his life. And one thing that we believe that is, is true in the Gospels and explained more over time throughout uh, the letters of the church is that when we encounter Jesus, there is transformation that takes place. If we encounter Jesus, it will change us for the better. Not always for the easier, not always for the simpler, but it will change us for the better. And so as we go through Lent, we'll be focusing on uh, different, different episodes that Jesus had paying attention to the transformation that takes place in someone's life and asking, where can that also be true for me? How can I also seek out that same transformation? And we find it by turning to God's word together and by listening for the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to our hearts. So before we read from John chapter 1 today, let's pray for the Holy Spirit to be at work within us as we study God's word. God, we come to you with an eagerness that you may speak into our lives, not just into the intellect of our minds and not just into the feelings of our heart, yes to those, but to all of us, to every corner of our soul, that we may hear and respond and follow you as you have called us. So as we today remember the story of Philip and Nathaniel being called by you, Jesus, help us to find ourselves in their shoes, in their lives, and wonder what change you would have had on our life if we were them. <clears throat> Open this to us. Change us, transform us, renew us, O oh God. Amen. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one who Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching him, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We can take a cue from Philip, who was an immediate turnaround from disciple turned to evangelist. Philip had all kinds of things that he probably didn't know yet. He had lots to learn, but there was an eagerness and a trust in faith in the sincerity of what he did know, that he was asked to follow Jesus, so he followed Jesus. And along the way, he's going to ask other people to follow Jesus too. We take a cue from Philip when we think about sharing our faith and evangelizing that we can always talk ourselves out of it because I don't know enough and I might get questions I don't know and I'm not smart enough to explain this to someone. And on and on and on we go. When really one of the first evangelists in the Gospels was Philip, who just said, come here, come see what I found. And well, I'm not so sure about that. Well, make up your own mind. Just come and see. Come and see. That's Philip, who continues on to just be that person that God uses to be in the right place at the right time with the right people. In the book of Acts, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch end up just on the same road at the same time, and Philip is able to open the scriptures up, and the gospel makes its way to Ethiopia with a traveler that Philip met on the road. But Philip's first round of being a disciple-turned-evangelist who just wants to share what he finds in Jesus is met with, well, lovable and maybe a little bit cynical Nathaniel. That tone of voice, you know, the, the tone of voice, however, if you read Scripture out loud, however you use your tone of voice, your inflections, actually is the first line of interpretation that we're making, the meaning that we're making of how these different things sound. And I can't help but when I come across this infamous line of Nathaniel saying, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? That I hear him with kind of this like nose turned up against Nazareth. I mean, it was kind of a podunk, less than one stoplight kind of town. Nazareth would be the type of place that we would say like, oh, their school's not as nice. Every now and then they have an okay football team, but that's probably because they have nothing to do but lift heavy stuff. It's one of those towns that we would just maybe go, meh. And I hear maybe a little bit of the judgment in Nathaniel's voice. But there's something else going on too. Something that we need to give Nathaniel a little bit of credit for. Because John, as, as, as a gospel writer, is always balancing dual meanings. There is almost always two meanings at work when John is writing about what happened and who did what. And it's no different with Nathaniel or with the things that Jesus says to Nathaniel. There's always one or two layers going on. So it is both true that there's some part of Nathaniel that's like, Nazareth? Like, really? That place? That simple reading is still true and holds some weight. But there's another piece of this that we need to give Nathaniel credit for. And it's that Nathaniel is actually a pretty learned individual. He knows the scriptures and he knows a few things about the world. We need to give Nathaniel that credit. And, and actually, there's something else in what Jesus says that, that confirms that Nathaniel's a pretty thoughtful, learned person. What Nathaniel knows from being a good student of Scripture is that the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, comes from Bethlehem in Judea. 
not Nazareth in Galilee. Nathanael knows this. He's been a good student of Scripture. He understands the law and the prophets enough to know that it's, it's out of Judea that, that the Savior will be called. Not out of Galilee, the fishing towns. Not out of Nazareth. Not those places. And so we can hear him turning his nose up. And we can also, at the same time, hear him telling, telling Philip, well, no, you got this wrong. You're in the wrong spot. You found the Messiah, but that's, that's not where the Messiah comes from. We need to give Nathaniel that credit first. That Nathaniel, like us, maybe has questions. Maybe has his guard up just a little bit. And Nathaniel, just like us, we know some things about the Bible. We know some things about the world. And some of our knowledge is quite credible. Jesus can transform and correct. And really, what Philip doesn't know and Nathaniel doesn't know yet is they don't know the rest of the story, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. And that is exactly a really big deal. And Nathaniel was right that the Messiah doesn't come from directly Nazareth in Galilee, and yet he would be a Nazarene. All of the details of the story, every detail of the Law and the Prophets does get added up. But Nathaniel, like most of us, if we hear an idea we're not so sure about, we step a foot back and we say, eh, you got a premise wrong in that argument. But Nathaniel, Nathaniel is willing to listen to Philip because he knows him. And to Philip's great credit, he does not try to argue it out. Philip, when sharing his faith of saying, come follow Jesus, come see what I saw, he does not try to intellectually argue Nathaniel into it. He for sure does not bluff and tries to pretend that he knows more about Jesus than he actually does because Philip doesn't know Jesus that well yet. He doesn't bluff. He doesn't make stuff up. He doesn't get combative. He just gives Nathaniel his own choice and says, come and see. Just like the prophet Isaiah said, come, let us reason together. Let us sort it out. Nathaniel has that kind of imitation from Philip. Come make up your own mind. I'm just telling you what I saw. And I want you to see it for yourself, decide for yourself, and see if God changes anything in your heart. And from what we read today, Nathaniel, upon meeting Jesus, has this complete transformation from being like, the Messiah can't come from there, Philip got it wrong, to saying one of the earliest professions of faith, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He could be executed for saying anybody's the king of Israel. You are the son of God and the king of Israel. Nathaniel is transformed in what he has just in one simple encounter from Jesus. But how does this transformation take place? Well, there's three things that Jesus says. Here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. I saw you under the fig tree, and buddy, I'm going to blow your mind with the things that you're going to see. Those are the three. And as we would read the rest of the Gospels, Nathaniel is along for all of that, for healings and feeding of the 5,000 and demons being cast out, all of the above, he gets a front row seat to. But it starts with, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. This is where we're starting to get some clues that what Jesus says to Nathaniel is more than just, oh, I saw you sitting under a fig tree by some sort of like 
you know, telepathic knowledge of where you were. Here is a true Israelite, emphasis on Israel, in whom there is no deceit, nothing false, emphasis there. Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, remember those guys from Genesis, Jacob was the heel grabber, which doesn't always have a great connotation. He's someone who presses his advantage, and if you remember those stories from Genesis, Jacob is a trickster. He deceives his brother Esau, once on his own and once with his mother's help. And when Jesus sees Nathanael, he says, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. The deceit part would actually echo of Jacob, the heel grabber, the original name, but then Jacob was renamed Israel because he wrestled with God. Jesus sees Nathanael and knows him for more than just the flesh that he can see. It says, here is a true Israelite, is to say, I see your heart. And I know that you're not a heel grabber. You're not someone who's trying to press gang your way through life, trying to gain advantages and trick and deceive. I see you and I know your heart. I know that you are someone who wrestles with God. How would any of us know just by looking at someone who wrestles with God and who doesn't? And yet something in what Jesus says echoes true for Nathaniel. You are a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false no deceit. You are one who wrestles with God, who might know things about where the Messiah and Savior is supposed to come from. And then he says, I saw you when Nathaniel's like, well, how do you know who I am? But Jesus doesn't get it wrong. How do you know who I am? I saw you when you were still under the fig tree. Now, if you reread our passage for today, it never actually says that Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree. We can assume that, we can infer that, because we're kind of used to some of the stories. But we're never told where he is. All we get is Philip found Nathanael, and we have found the one that Moses wrote about. The fig tree, true, Nathanael, double meanings of John, there's always layers. There definitely could have just been a fig tree that Nathanael was sitting under, and that parlor trick of Jesus is suddenly the thing that transforms him. But there's something else about fig trees. Fig trees go way, way back. They are places of refuge and of wisdom. All the way back to Genesis 3, the first instinct of Adam and Eve is to cover themselves with fig leaves. Fig trees were often the places where rabbis were understood to teach, that they would teach under the shade of a fig tree. And someone like Nathaniel, growing up, as a young boy, would have been brought to a rabbi to memorize the scripture, to memorize the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament. And it was kind of a weeding out process. You'd memorize, and then once you kind of failed out and couldn't figure out any more, then you'd go and work your family trade, go catch fish, go be a carpenter, and then you'd keep rising up. Now, we don't know everything about Nathaniel, how, how far he got in that process, or anything else about him. But we do know that in that culture, he would have been raised to memorize all of the scriptures. And so he knows them well. And there's something about being under the fig tree as an idiom for at the feet of your rabbi that means a lot. And Jesus says, I saw you when you were still under the fig tree. Meaning, I saw you, you true Israelite, one who wants to wrestle with God and understand what God is doing in the world. 
I saw you when you were just a boy who was trying to make sense of the Scriptures. I saw you then, long before Philip came and said that I found the one who Moses wrote about, you were memorizing the words of Moses under the fig tree. Jesus is saying once again to Nathaniel, I see your heart. I see everything within you. And I want you to follow me. If there is a Lenten word of comfort from this invitation, it is this, that Jesus knows everything about us. Even the secret stuff that we're really, really good at hiding. Jesus knows every corner of our soul and is like, come along for the ride. Come and be transformed by me. I want you to follow me. You're not excluded because of the things you know. He sees the Nathaniel in all of us that wants to wrestle with God, that has some questions, maybe some unanswered questions, that wants to make sure that we get it right. Jesus sees the times when we're a, a, a relentless perfectionist for no good reason. Jesus sees the times when we were just kind of lazy. Jesus sees all pieces of us. He says, come and follow me. It's a humbling invitation. Nathaniel has his questions answered because of the way that Jesus speaks to him. Not the way we would think if we just read, he saw him under a fig tree. Somebody could have told him that ahead of time. But rather, Nathaniel understands clearly that Jesus sees him for everything that he is. And this is still true of us today, that Jesus sees us just as we are in all of our fullness, in all of our flaws, and in all of our best attributes, our best traits, our best wrestlings, even when we don't get it right. Jesus knows our heart and intent and comes to correct our course. Lent is a season of repentance. is to do a little bit of course correction, a little bit of soul searching. Knowing that Jesus sees him for all that he is, it humbles Nathaniel. Humbles him because he knows that Philip was actually right. And to say, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. I would encourage you, in confession, which we do every week except for communion weeks, in confession, in prayer during the season of Lent, to be really, really honest with God, even about your faults and flaws. Confess your sins. And then to say, after you've done all that, to Jesus, the same thing that Nathaniel said, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And to know that that is the one who wants us in all that we are. Nathaniel is just that type of person, just like us, that Jesus says, come along for the ride. I want to change your life. I want to blow your mind. And if we think about us being a little bit of Nathaniel, I hope that if we follow Jesus long enough, if we're really encountering Jesus, we will occasionally be surprised. And I don't mean like open the cupboard one day and there's, you know, Jesus toast or, you know, oh, wow, cinnamon toast crunch appeared from nowhere, you know, like that's not the type of surprises we're talking about. I think the ways that Jesus surprises us is when we've been at it for a while and then we can look back and say, I never expected to see God at work there. I never thought that ending up here would have had this outcome on my life. We, like Nathaniel, ought to be just a little bit surprised that God shows up in places we don't expect God to show up, and God does things that we don't expect God to do. 
Sometimes because we're like, eh, we're not worthy of it. But that's where grace comes in. That's the second meaning of Nathaniel's responses and Jesus' dialogue with him. But if there's maybe a simpler takeaway, if we're like, you know what, it's been a full week, it's been busy, it's been hectic, and I've only got so much brain space, then take away the first meaning as well. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of there? I wonder if our world as a whole has a little bit of Nathaniel in it. And let's try this on for size. North Holland? Can anything good come out of there? And I would say, you shut your mouth. <laughs> you don't even know. What do you do? You finished a bag of Doritos or something. We, like, build houses, and, and we help out at camps, and we have, like, all of the things. So I, that's where my energy would go really, really fast. Let's take a page out of Philip's book. Come and see. Come and see. Can anything good come out of North Holland? Two weeks before my installation, we were worshiping at another church, and um, someone said, oh, yeah, I know North Holland. And I was like, by your tone of voice, I don't think you know the North Holland that I know. I didn't say that. I was trying to be polite. But it, it irked me. I was like, mm-mm-mm, you don't even know. You don't know. But Philip is right, setting a trend as the evangelist to say, come and see. That's North Holland. We'll come back to the specifics on that, but think bigger for a minute. The church? Can anything good come out of that? Two different times, five years apart, so seven and 12 years ago, most people who do not associate with church know what church is against, and they can say church is anti this, that, or the other, but can't say what church is for, don't know what it's really about or what it is intended to do. We live in a world that has a lot of Nathaniel in it, and we, like Philip, cannot jump down people's throats about when we want to correct them and say, uh-uh-uh, we do a lot more good than you do just sitting over there complaining somewhere. We're fun and industrious. But we live in a world of Nathaniels. And there's a lot of people who probably have really good reason, at least reasons that they're going to hold on to very tightly. Said the church, you sure anything can good come out of there? Because people have been hurt by the church. They know somebody who's been hurt by the church. The church has not always handled mental health crises well or crises within families. People have walked away, whether they were right or wrong in the intent, people walk away from the church feeling judged. People figure that if you go to church, you just can't do certain things. Church people aren't any fun. And I'm like, come on a mission trip with us. We're a lot of fun. And the things you think we can't do, we probably do. Come and see. But we live in a Nathaniel-shaped world. There is resistance there is, uh-uh, I know things about the church. Nathaniel knows things about the Bible and about the world. And he's saying, Philip, you've got it wrong. And we live in a world where people say, I know things about the church, and I know things about the world. And if you're saying something good came out of the church, if you're saying you found grace and truth, if you're saying you found mercy and compassion, if you say you found meaning in life at church, you're wrong. And nothing good can come out of there. And our response should follow that of Philip and Nathaniel's interaction to say, Come and see. 
Make up your own mind. I can't change your experience. I can't expunge the past from your existence. I can't make your lived reality any different than it's been. But we can say, come and see. Make up for your own mind if the church has anything to offer or not. And that is both invitation in how we contribute together to the communion of saints that we live in, and it's also how we live. It's our own existence as a witness of saying, some of who I am has been shaped and molded and formed by the church. Come and see. Come and see this place, this people who have been shaped by God and who have wrestled with God together to see if there's something good that comes out of this place. Because you cannot intellectually disassemble anyone's resistance to church. You cannot push them here. You shouldn't, at least. But you can say, come and see. And make up your own mind. And then, if that sounds like something you could do right now, like, you know what? There's things that I love about this place. And I would easily say, come and see. Come see for yourself. If what I say about this place is true, if this is a place where we encounter Christ, not in the Christ that we have made him out to be in the world, but the true living presence of Christ, come and see for yourself. If that sounds easy and accessible, then there is something here that draws you here, that there's meaning and purpose and value. If it's like, I'm not actually sure if in confidence I could invite someone and say, hey, go to church or come to North Holland more specifically and you're just not sure. Maybe if you're watching online, there's a different church that you're a part of. You say, I don't know if I could just yet. Ask yourself what's missing or what is there that needs to be missing. And how do we, as disciples of Jesus together, in a whole and healthy way, address things so that we can say, North Holland, a great place of loving people who will care for you, Come and see. It either is and to be celebrated or it's not quite and is to be worked towards. And in all things, as Aaron um, led us through the already and not yet, it's always going to be a little bit of both. There are already true good things about this place. And there's the not yet. We haven't quite gotten there. And Jesus says, come and follow me and I'm going to blow your minds along the way. But we come to a place where there is grace and truth. And we are to be people who live in grace and truth, not because we came up with it on our own or because we always get it right, but we are people of grace and truth because we have received grace and truth from God our Father, from Jesus Christ our Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit our Guide. Because when we come to communion together, we are reminded that we are known and we are loved in God's very presence, which is always within us. So friends, we come to the table today in remembrance, communion, and hope. We remember that Jesus Christ was born into the world, assumed our flesh and blood, and lived a perfect and holy life that we could not live on our own. We remember during the season of Lent that Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins, was crucified for us, and that on the third day he rose again from the dead that we might have life eternal and life here on earth to be lived to the fullest. We do this in remembrance 
of what Jesus taught us. We also come in communion, knowing that we are not alone, but rather that Christ is with us. And that Jesus, also in the Gospel of John, said, I am the vine, you are the branches. In me you must abide if you are to bear fruit. We come in remembrance. We come in communion with the same living Christ. That Christ is here present with us in a special way where heaven and earth meet at communion. And we come in hope. Our prayer list is long because the world is imperfect and scarred and hurt. We come in hope that this bread and this cup may be to us a taste, a preview of the great heavenly banquet that is to come when Christ shall return and make all things new, even us. We come in remembrance, communion, and hope to the table of our Lord.